among men, indulging themselves. They owed no one apologies or explanations, and each of them worked hard in his own way during the rest of the year, Charlie as a philanthropist, Adam as an attorney, and Gray as an artist. Charlie liked to say that they earned their month off and deserved their annual trip. Two of the three were bachelors by choice. Charlie insisted he wasn't. His single status, he claimed, was by happenstance, and, so far, sheer bad luck. He said he wanted to get married, but hadn't found the right woman yet, despite a lifetime of searching. But he was still looking, with meticulous determination. He had been engaged four times in his younger days, although not recently, and each time something had happened to cause the wedding to be called off, much to his chagrin and deep regret. Without exception, Charlie had managed to stay friends with every woman he had ever gone out with. At Christmas time, he was deluged with cards from women he had once cared about, decided not to marry, and who had since married other men. At a glance, if one looked at the photographs of them and their families, they all looked the same. Beautiful, blonde, well-bred women from aristocratic families who had gone to the right schools and married the right people. Charlie's friends Adam and Gray kept telling him to give up on debutantes and socialites and go out with a real woman, the definition of which varied according to their respective descriptions. But Charlie knew exactly what he wanted, a well-born, well-heeled, well-educated, intelligent woman who would share the same values, same ideals, and had a similarly aristocratic background to his. That was important to him. His own family could be traced back to the 15th century in England, his fortune was many generations old, and like his father and grandfather, he had gone to Princeton. His mother had gone to Miss Porter's and finishing school in Europe, as had his sister before she went to college, and he wanted to marry a woman just like them. Marrying Charles Harrington would have been a major coup for anyone, but like the handsome prince in the fairy tale, he had searched the world looking for the right woman, the perfect one for him. And instead, he met lovely women everywhere, who seemed delightful and appealing at first, and always had a fatal flaw that stopped him in his tracks just before he got to the altar. At forty-six, he was still a bachelor, through no fault of his own, he said. Wherever the right woman was hiding these days, he was still determined to find her, and Charlie felt sure he would, one day. He just didn't know when. Charlie sat with his eyes closed and his face to the sun as two stewardesses served him breakfast and poured him a second cup of coffee. He was a strikingly handsome man, tall, slim, with sandy blonde hair that concealed whatever gray he'd acquired over time. He had blue eyes and, after the last month on the boat, a deep tan. His mother had been spectacularly beautiful and his sister had been a tennis star in college when she dropped out to take care of him. His parents had both been killed in a head-on collision while on vacation in Italy when he was sixteen. His sister had been twenty-one and had left Vassar in her junior year to come home and take on the responsibilities of running the family in the absence of their parents. It still brought tears to Charlie's eyes when he thought about his sister. Ellen had said she would go back to finish college when he went to college two years later. It was a sacrifice she was more than willing to make for him. She had been an extraordinary woman, and Charlie adored her. But by the time he left for college, although he didn't know it, and she said nothing to him, Ellen was ill. 
She had managed to keep the seriousness of her illness from him for nearly three years. She said she was too busy working at the foundation to go back to college, and he had believed her. In fact, she had a brain tumor and fought a valiant battle. They had determined early on that the tumor was inoperable because of its location. Ellen died at 26, just months before Charlie graduated from Princeton. Charlie had no one to see him graduate. With his sister and parents gone, he was virtually alone in the world, with a vast fortune and a great sense of responsibility for all they left him. He bought his first sailboat shortly after he graduated, and for two years he sailed around the world. When he'd come back, he was 24 years old. He had gone to Columbia Business School and gotten an MBA, learned about his investments and how to run the foundation. He had grown up overnight and become responsible for everything in his world. Charlie had never let anyone down in his life. He knew that neither his parents nor Ellen had abandoned him intentionally, but he was alone in the world, without family, at a very young age. He had remarkable material benefits and a few well-chosen friends, but he knew that until he found the right woman, he would be alone in important ways. He wasn't going to settle for anything less than what he felt he deserved, a woman like his mother and Ellen, a woman who would stand by him till the end, a woman who was nearly perfect in every way. Oh, God, he heard a groan behind him on the deck of the boat. He laughed as soon as he heard the voice. He opened his eyes and turned to see Adam in white shorts and a pale blue T-shirt slip into a seat across the table from him. The stewardess poured him a cup of strong coffee, and Adam took several sips before he said another word. What the hell did I drink last night? I think someone poisoned me. His hair was dark, his eyes nearly ebony, and he hadn't bothered to shave. He was of medium build with powerful shoulders and rugged looks. He wasn't a handsome man in the way Charlie was, but he was intelligent, funny, attractive, had charm, and women loved him. What he lacked in movie star looks, he made up for with brains, power, and money. He had made a lot of it in recent years. I think you drank mostly rum and tequila, but that was after the bottle of wine at dinner. They'd had Chateau Aubriand on board before going into Saint-Tropez to check out the bars and discos. And I think the last time I saw you at the discotheque before I left, you were drinking brandy. Adam Weiss winced in the sunlight, put on his dark glasses, and grinned. You're a shit influence on me, Charlie, but a great host. What time did I come in? Around five, I think. Adam had met Charlie just after Rachel divorced him. He and Rachel had met at Harvard as sophomores and gone to Harvard Law School together. She had graduated from law school summa cum laude and passed the bar on the first try, although she never practiced law. Adam had had to take it a second time, but was nonetheless a terrific lawyer and had done well. He had joined a firm that specialized in representing rock stars and major athletes, and he loved his work. He and Rachel had gotten married the day after they graduated from law school, and the marriage had been welcomed and celebrated by both families who knew each other on Long Island. When they married, they had everything in common and a lifetime of happiness ahead of them. Rachel got pregnant on their honeymoon and had two babies in two years, Amanda and Jacob, who were now 14 and 13. The marriage had lasted five years. Adam was always busy working, building his career, and coming home at three in the morning after going to concerts or sporting events with his clients and their friends.
But in spite of the temptations all around him, and there had been many, he had been faithful to her. Rachel, however, got tired of being alone at night and fell in love with their pediatrician, whom she had known since high school, and had an affair with him while Adam was making money hand over fist for them. He became a partner in the firm three months before she left him, and she told him he'd be fine without her. She took the kids, the furniture, half of their savings, and married the doctor as soon as the ink was dry on their divorce. Ten years later, he still hated her and could barely bring himself to be civil to her. The last thing he wanted was to marry again and have the same thing happen. It had nearly killed him when she left with the kids. In the decade since it had happened, he had avoided any risk of attachment by dating women nearly half his age, with one-tenth the brain. And in the milieu where he worked, they were easy to find. At 41, he dated women between 21 and 25. Models, starlets, groupies, the kind of women who hung around athletes and rock stars. Half the time he could barely remember their names. He was upfront with all of them, and generous with them. He told them when they met him that he would never remarry, and whatever they were doing was just for fun. Rachel had taken his heart with her and tossed it in a dumpster somewhere. I think I had fun last night, Adam said with a sheepish grin. The last thing I remember was dancing with a bunch of Brazilian women who didn't speak English. But man, could they move. They were amazing. So were you, Charlie laughed out loud as both men turned their faces to the sun. Adam was beginning to revive after a second cup of coffee, just as Gray appeared, wearing dark glasses, with his mane of uncombed white hair sticking up straight. He often wore it that way, but it seemed particularly appropriate as he groaned and sat down at the table, wearing a bathing suit and a t-shirt that was clean but splattered with paint.